At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 519th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Today on our podcast, we have someone who's growing enough food to provide for a family of four all year long. We're talking with Melissa Norris about feeding a family. Melissa is a fifth-generation homesteader and believes everyone can and should grow some of their own food. She is the host of the amazing podcast, Pioneering Today, and founder of the Pioneering Today Academy, where she teaches people how to live a homegrown and homemade life in a modern world. Welcome to the show today, Melissa. Are you ready to rock? Hey, I'm ready to roll. Excellent. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Absolutely. So I say I'm a fifth generation homesteader. Honestly, I'm sure it goes much further back because I hail from a long line of people who were just simply raising their own food and providing for themselves off of the land, which now we call homesteaders. And of course, you know, back in the pioneer days, we homesteaders were actually the people who were taking advantage of the Homesteading Act. But for me, my dad I so it's kind of a funny story, but I want to give this this preface. So I feel actually very blessed by it now. I didn't so much when I was a teenager and younger. Right. But my right, yeah. Hi, oh gosh, hindsight. So much looking back, <laughs> we didn't appreciate back then. We do now. But I was raised. My dad was older. Him and my mom are actually 19 years apart, and I'm from his second marriage. And so my dad was actually born in the 1930s and raised through the Great Depression as a young child. But when the Great Depression ended it really didn't change the way that they lived. They still relied very much so if they didn't grow it and preserve it for the winter months, then they weren't going to eat a lot of the time. So I say that because by the time I came along, of course, you know, that wasn't my, our situation. We always had a garden. My dad always raised our own beef cattle. We actually always had our own meat source, raised a vegetable garden, had fruits and vegetables. But a lot of the practices now that I have as a gardener and just in life were because he went through those hard times where you had to be self-sufficient and self-sustainable. And of course, your food is one of those aspects. So I learned to garden from the time I could walk. I mean, every memory as far back as I have in the summertime is you were planting the garden. So I was helping to put the seeds in and cover it and weeding, of course, and then snapping the beans and helping my mom can. And I thought that was I thought every family grew up that way. I think when you're little, a lot of times you kind of have, you know, that you think the whole world is, is what you know. Right. And it wasn't right until I got in high school. And then I realized as I went to other friends house and got more out in the world that not everybody actually did that, that that wasn't necessarily the norm. And then I got married at 18. My husband, and I just celebrated 20 years of marriage. Congratulations. Um, Thank 
you. And so he had grown up in town, no, a little town. I had grown up in the country and he'd grown up in town. And so we got married in September. And so the first spring rolls around, summer's coming. And I'm like, hey, we need to figure out if we can borrow somebody's rototiller or have somebody come and rototill up the ground because we got to get ready for a garden. And he just kind of looked at me and he's like, <laughs> you, you want to do a, a garden? And I remember looking at him like, what do you mean want to? It's not what it's like, it's what you do. Mm-hmm. Like in my mind, there was no question of are we or aren't we? It was absolutely how big do we want it? That's the question we asked. Yes. Love yeah. that. So thankfully my city boy quickly turned a country boy and he jumped right in. We've had a garden every every year since and in, increase it every year as well and now raise all of our own meat and everything but that was kind of the beginning and so I always had a garden but the real tipping point for me was about 10 years ago and you know it's funny because as I said I always have raised some of our own food and canned and put that up and cooked our meals but I didn't realize especially in those more newlywed younger days that a lot of the things I was cooking it at home but I didn't realize that different box mixes of this, even though I was assembling things and and putting it in, you know, the oven and providing dinner, it wasn't takeout or frozen things necessarily. I didn't really realize though, the quality uh, of the ingredients and some of the things what was in, you know, a box cake mix and these hydrogenated oils and just different things like that. And so it was about 10 years ago that I had really bad acid reflux and ulcers, stomach ulcers, to the point where I was actually on taking prescription medications, the max dose that you could up to six times a day, having to time my eating around these. Um, And it was a it's such a bad stage. And I was in my late twenties at that point had just had my daughter. So I had two little kids and they sent me to a specialist who said, we don't know what's wrong with you. We need to go and do a scope because obviously this is not normal and you cannot stay on these doses of medications. You've already been on these doses way longer than you should have been. So I went and had my stomach, upper stomach and my esophagus biopsied actually. When they were in there with a scope, they came across some areas that they wanted to biopsy. So they biopsied them. And thankfully they came back benign. So I didn't have cancer, which praise the Lord, but I had cellular change, which of course can be a precursor to cancer. And I was on all of these meds and it's still, I was still having that much erosion and and different things happening. So the specialist, I'm still so grateful for a conventional medical doctor as a specialist. And he just looked at me and he said, you have to figure out a way to control this with your food. So I have to say, when he told me that I needed to control it with my food, I was a little bit irritated because I thought, are you kidding me? Like I'm already on this max dose. I can't sleep at night. I was at probably one of the thinnest points of my life. I was really unable to eat most of the time. And you're telling me you want me to go off all this medication, which is barely helping me to be even able to function. And I just need to figure it out by what I'm eating. So I was a little irritated through the papers in the car and kind of fumed on my way home, if I'm being honest. Uh But then I'm like, I'm like, okay, you know, I've got this chance and I'm just, I'm going to roll up my sleeves and we're going to do it. And so I sat about investigating and looking at the foods that I was eating. And he had a list of kind of what a lot of people will experience as their trigger foods that can trigger heartburn and that type of thing. But I really started to investigate. And for me, on my investigations, it was cutting out where I first started, I should say, a lot of the processed foods. So I wanted no GMO crops. I didn't want any high fructose corn syrup, hydrogenated oils. You know, it was just getting back to really 
basic food. And at that time, I didn't realize how much of what I was cooking had these other ingredients in it. Right. So, right. And the way it was processed and what these things actually did to our bodies and et cetera. So at that time, 10 years ago, in order to avoid a lot of these things, I either had to start growing and making it myself. Surprisingly, a lot of your tomato sauce and your condensed cans of soup that you're using, they've got these hydrogenated oils, a lot of oils that are from high GMO crops, et cetera. A lot of corn syrup. I could not believe how many things had high fructose corn syrup in it. Almost everything, if it had an ingredient label, you know, wasn't a fresh produce had it in there. And we've come a long way, actually, even as in society and food, a lot more awareness and things even than we did back then. So that was really where it all, my awareness and like I said, to be able to afford it and or to find the foods, we had to begin growing more than we were and putting it up. And thankfully, that it worked. I was able to get off all of the medications. I haven't, I've never had to go back on them. It's been over 10 years, been completely healed. And then I've seen so much transformation and benefits in my own health and in just healthier in so many ways now in my thirties than I was in my twenties. And it all relates back to, to my, to our food and the way it's grown and what we're eating. And it's just amazing. So that's how all of it came to be really the, the podcast and, and the books and teaching people how to do the same things. And I did all of this too, while still working a day job as a pharmacy tech, actually, my husband works a day job and we started raising all of our own meat and increasing more and more. And I say that because a lot of people I know think like I did when I first started, like, oh my goodness, most people, when they did this as homesteaders back in the day, that was their full-time job. Most right. of them weren't going off the farm and, and working like we are. How am I going to make this work? It seems impossible. But when you do it little bit by little bit, it really is doable and you can make it work. So is this what you do full-time now? It is what I do full-time Yay. now. Yes. Yeah. My husband still works his day job, actually. But I, two years ago, it's been about two years and three months um, <laughs> since I'm doing this to doing it full time. So for about eight years, I worked a, a day job and then did all of this and, you know, all the life stuff together. So I really learned a lot of a lot of hacks, so to speak, that allowed me to just streamline everything and do it in the least amount of time possible without sacrificing yield or, you know, still using organic natural methods, et cetera. Right. Well, and, you know, really growing your own food, there's the setup and the harvesting and then waiting in between. Yeah. Once you have your infrastructures in place, basically, you know, what if you're not putting in a, a brand new garden every year and breaking new ground or new beds or greenhouses or whatever it is you're doing? Once that's in, you're right. You have this lull period when it's growing, even kind of before the harvesting, depending on if you're doing succession planting and spring and summer and fall crops and all of that. But once it's in and you've got that foundation, you're right. It's not that much work. It's more the setup and getting started than I think anything else is where a lot of your work comes in. Yeah. And one of the ways that you express this or share this with people is with a podcast, which I was recently on your podcast. Now you're here. Tell me about how your podcast happened because you're doing a great job with that. Oh, thank you. Well, you know, funny thing on the podcast. So 
I live extremely rurally <laughs> and we have a little small radio station that was sub offshoot of a community college about, oh, probably about 40 miles away from where I live. And they wanted to have a local radio station, which I think is awesome and wanted to support them. And a lot of the hosts looking for local things and, and people to have on the show had found my website where, you know, sharing about growing and your own food and cooking it and all those fun things. And so they asked if I'd be on some of their radio shows, if they could come out and I do a radio show with them. And of, of course I'm like, Oh yeah, I, I love to talk <laughs> <laughs> and I love to share. I, I really do. And so I kept, they kept asking me to be on their shows and different hosts would be asking me to come on. And so I was doing multiple interviews on multiple different hosts shows for this radio. And so finally the producer just sent me an email and said, Hey, can you just do your own show with us? And I'm like, oh, nice. Yeah, I'd never even considered it. At, you know, was nothing that ever crossed my mind. And I thought, well, I, yeah, I don't know how. Like, you're going to have to walk me through what to do. But sure, I, yeah, would love to. So I did. I started doing a weekly show for our local radio station. And I was still working my day job at that point. And so getting into their studio to record around the other people's recording times and their live shows. And my day job was getting to be really cumbersome. And, and it was kind of like, okay, I can't keep doing this. It's just not working. And so I asked him, I said, well, what if I got some equipment and recorded at home? And then I just give you the recordings and you guys can air them. And they said, yeah, that would work great. And I'd had a lot of people were on my email newsletter and just on social media and stuff. And they knew I was doing a radio show and they wanted to listen in. But at that time it was so small, there was no capability for people to listen in on the internet. It was only if you were local on the radio waves. And so that was how the podcast was actually born because I, I said, okay, well, if I record these myself, I can put them up online. I'll have the files and then anybody can listen. So that the beginning of the podcast was actually a local radio show. Wow. Congratulations. Thanks. And you've gotten pretty far with it. Yeah, I started the podcast. Oh, my goodness. I think it was the end of 2013 or the beginning of 2014. So quite a while ago, really. And it's, we're still going stronger than ever. I'm now doing two episodes a week. And I think for so many people in this day and age, myself included, listening to podcasts, we have the freedom now that we can listen to subjects that we want to, mm -hmm. that are going to, that we're interested in, that are going to help us, that are teaching us and motivating us and inspiring us and all of that. And so I am a podcast junkie. <laughs> I don't, Eat the garden. I don't drive anywhere. I don't even clean the house without listening to some podcast or an audio book. And so I, it's been so much fun to see more and more people tune into podcasts and loving and having that freedom and getting to, you know, listen and learn about things that are important to them. And so it's been just so amazing to see the, the rise of podcasts, I guess you could yeah. say. I'm going to ask you a question, but I'm also going to answer the question after, after you answer it. And that okay. is, what is your favorite thing about doing a podcast? Because you've got hundreds of episodes. Yeah, 222 actually. Congratulations. On the Thank you. Recording this 222 just went live. I think my favorite thing about podcasts is we get to connect with other people on a different level than you get by just reading written material. 
there's a different intimacy and I feel like a deeper level of sharing of knowledge and inspiration. And I just, the accessibility of it, like I, I can listen to someone who is in a different country if I want to, who's definitely in a different state. And we don't have that barrier anymore of location or being able to get where they're at. It's just, it's laid out there for us. It's there. Yeah. I, I so hear you on that. And my favorite thing is connecting with people like you. I get to make friends all over the world talking about what I love to talk about. It is amazing because you and I, yeah, we're in totally different states. You're in Arizona. I'm in Washington. It's really amazing. And the same thing for the listeners. Like we get to create this community and meet these people that in no other time would we be able to do do it. We're really living in a special time. It's it's got its faults. Every every time period does, but there's a lot of good happening right now. Amen to that. So I have one more real quick story that I want to share. I have taught at Arizona State University, our our uh, one of our state universities here, and so I have a ASU email address. And I'm going to say three years ago, I get this email from this woman uh, from Australia, and she was looking for data on urban farming from Arizona State University. So that wasn't me, but I connected her with somebody at Arizona State University that could help her. And then I got a follow-up email from her and because the email came into my ASU address, but I sent her one from the urban farm address. So I get an email response from her and she said, oh my gosh, you're that Greg Peterson? (laughs) She's an attorney in Australia that listens to my podcast on her way to work in the morning. Oh my goodness. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? That is amazing. Yeah. So just this this connectivity, of, you know, possibility that we have is just it's mind blowing for me. And I, I think you're right about this being you know, this way to connect is a really good thing. Yeah, it is. And too, like you said, those stories when you actually get something from someone that says, "I listened to you." Mm-hmm. It inspired me. It motivated me. I took your step and I did this, and it is it's changed their life. I've never grown anything before. I wanted to grow a tomato plant. And now in one year, I have this full garden in my backyard and they send you a picture. It's very humbling, actually. It's really amazing to see. But yeah, and it sounds so, you know, you hear people say, oh, life changing, like that term gets thrown around a lot, but it really is true. Podcasts have changed my life. I've listened listened to podcasts that have totally changed my life. And to know that, that we get to have that effect on someone, I don't know, it's very, very, it's really cool. I'm going to say, I sound all gushy right now and I totally am. <laughs> yeah, so you I and, hope I sound that way. I'm yeah. with you. <laughs> so let's go out in the garden and talk about growing food a little bit. And yeah. uh, in your bio, you said that you grow enough food for your family all year around. What crops do you raise enough of that last a whole year? Yeah. So quite a few actually. And I should say that with some season extenders, I am in a northern growing climate. So like right now in the middle of December, I still have kale. I've got beets and lettuce that are under some season extenders there to keep them warm. The kale is not, and I've still got Brussels sprouts that I'm able, that I'm harvesting from. But everything else, warm weather crops, I have a pretty short growing season from about the mid-end of May to about mid-September is when I have to grow everything else that's not a cold weather crop. So we raise enough of when it comes to vegetables. So I do all of our tomato products. So I we raise and can up all of my tomato sauce, pizza sauce, pasta sauce, you know, 
all the salsa, stewed tomatoes, all the things you would make with tomatoes, green beans, garlic. I think this year we'll actually have a full year's worth of onions. Well, it'll be close. I may have to, at the very end, get a few before springtime comes, but I think we're going to get there. All of our, pretty much all of our fruit, except tropical, I can't do citrus here. And of course, tropical fruit's not going to grow either. And occasionally I'll buy some fresh apples if the kids are getting tired of doing dehydrated and applesauce and all those things. But otherwise, all of our berries, I don't buy any berries from the store. We raise all of our berries and preserve and and put them up. Rhubarb, a year's worth of rhubarb. Pretty much all of my herbs, unless they're like a spice or something like that, but pretty much all of our herbs I'm growing a year's worth of as well. It might be easier to say what I'm still buying from the store. (laughs) Right. Wow. Good job. So yeah, it's been it's been a journey. It's been an evolution. I've always raised a year's worth of green beans. So even when my husband and I were first married, I've never purchased green beans from the store. But at that time, it was the only thing I was growing and preserving a full year's worth of. And we've added in all the other crops and all of our own meat as well. I know we're talking about gardening, but we are self-sufficient on our own organic grass-fed pasture-raised beef, pork, and chickens. Wow. Cool. I'm much closer to being a vegetarian these days. I eat very little meat, but a few years ago, I figured, well, I still eat poultry, so I should raise some in my backyard. So right here in the middle of Phoenix, I'm going to say about eight, nine years ago, I raised over the course of two years, I raised 25 meat hens, meat chickens from chick to plate. And I did the whole process myself. It was eye-opening. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. We do both meat chickens. We do meat birds in the spring, so they're butchered by midsummer. Mm-hmm. And then I've got my hens that are year-round and are laying, mostly laying year-round. Right now, they're kind of in that uh, in the middle of winter. I don't use a heat lamp, so I don't force them to lay. I let them follow nature's cycle personally. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not getting fresh eggs right now, but that will pick up again in about a month. So almost year-round, I get fresh eggs. Yeah, exactly. Well, in our even in Phoenix, you know, and it's not too cold here. Our hens have stopped laying. It's, you know, it's just wintertime. We get about nine hours of light and, you know, they, they don't lay when there's not enough light. Right. Absolutely. And their body needs a break from it, I think. Yes. Of course, everybody has their own theory of, and everything like that. But just my personal opinion, I, I think it's good for them to have that break. I think that's the way God designed them and, <laughs> and I'm fine right? with letting them do that. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so how much land or space does somebody need to grow a year's worth of food? You know, I know you know this, Greg, but really less than you think. So in full disclosure, with all of our livestock, I do have 14.96 acres, almost 15 acres of land. Wow, nice. It is. It's wonderful. It's, It's a very, we're very blessed. But the majority of that is either pasture for the animals and then forest land, actually. Where I'm growing my vegetables and my fruits, so our produce, is just in my backyard and is actually on a half an acre of all that acreage is where all of the the produce is being grown. So we can grow all of that in just a half an acre. And you can even grow even in less than that if you need to, obviously. You can use any space and find a way to grow your own food. But yeah, half an acre. So it's just our backyard where we've got all the perennials and then the annual vegetable garden and the herbs and all of that fun stuff. So you can do it in a pretty small space. I think people get an idea that you've got to have vast acres and these huge fields Mm -hmm. in order to do it. And you don't. 
Well, and if you believe Mel Bartholomew and the square foot gardener, if you have a thousand square feet of, of space, you can grow enough food. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, and, and what I'm continuously amazed at is the, um, the amazing abundance that comes out of our gardens. Oh, it is amazing. Like I said, we even here having a cold climate, I'm growing spring crops. So I pretty much grow three gardens a year. I grow a spring garden. I grow an annual summer vegetable garden with our warm weather. And then I'm growing a fall garden and I'm still reaping the benefits of when I planted in September and we're in December and that will, you know, I'll be able to harvest off of those probably into January. And then it's really only about February and the beginning of March that I don't have anything in the ground other than the garlic that's just doing its thing. Yep. Yeah. And so- and I think that's where a lot of people too, they, we get in our head, depending on where you live. Now I realize that if you're in a Southern climate, you don't do as much gardening in the dead of heat as summer. But a lot of times we get in our head, like it's a, it's just a one thing. And a lot of people are like, well, I just do my summer garden and that's it. But you can very easily plant so many crops almost year long in most climates. Right. Well, in our time here, so I live in the desert Southwest, our no time is really July through September because it's just too dang hot. But the rest of the time, we've always got stuff growing. Yeah, so we're just flipping it. Mine's just like, you know, December through February. Yep. <laughs> yeah, right. but yeah, the rest of the time, you can find things for your area. And I think that's another key thing, too, is you can grow a lot and you can grow more and longer than you think if you are picking the varieties that are well-suited to your growing climate. Because if you're trying to, just like you, like down there in Arizona, if you're trying to grow brassicas when you've got 85, 90-degree weather, yep. they're just not going to do very well. Yep. So you do have to pick items and plants that do well for your natural climate. And you can kind of baby them. Like I use season extenders with doing row covers and frost protection and that kind of thing to push it out a couple of weeks, four weeks on the beginning and then on the end of, of different vegetables too. So you definitely can do that. But I am not going to try to grow sweet potatoes or okra here because it would just require way too much work and I probably wouldn't get anything anyways. Right. Yeah, exactly. So tell me about Pioneering Today Academy. Yeah. So the Pioneering Today Academy, it's so funny. So the whole Pioneering Today thing, well, is one is I love taking the best of those old fashioned homesteading pioneer skill sets they had 150, 200 years ago, but figuring out a way to use them in our modern world, because I have electricity, we're not totally off the grid. And though I could survive that way, and we've had two weeks without power here, and we frequently have power outages, so I know I've got the skill sets to do it. As long as we have the availability of a lot of these modern conveniences, I plan on using them. Right. And so what I wanted to do is to find the best of these old-fashioned skill sets so that they're not lost and that we're getting the benefit of these, but figuring out a way to do it in a modern world, like I said, with day jobs and everything else that we have to do. And so that's really what my website is. And the radio show, it was actually one of the editors and producers said, well, we got to come up with a name for it. What about pioneering today? And I'm like, oh, great. That sounds good. So everything has been born. Wow. Yeah. So the Academy was, this is when I was still working my day job, but I had a couple of my, um, I had a book out 
and the website and the podcast. And I had people asking me, they're like, I really wish you could do more videos and that you could walk me through how to do everything. Or I could come to your, your homestead and, and learn with you. Like, I really just need more hands on. And I was like, at that time I was still working. I'm like, there's, there's, I'm already getting up and doing, you know, three or four hours worth of work before I leave and go to my day job and then staying up late at night. I'm like, I, I cannot do any more than I'm doing right now for free, just to be blunt. Mm -hmm. And so the Academy, I wanted to do more video and I wanted to be able to help people on a deeper level. And I would love for people to be able to, to come, but you know, it's not feasible for most people to fly to where my homestead is and to come. And I had people all over. So I did a beta launch and I said, okay, I'm going to try out this membership where I'm giving you so many videos every single month and I can do some lives with you and all of this stuff and and just kind of see what happens. And that was back in March of 2016. And so I would film it before I would go to work. I would come home and edit it myself and then get it uploaded. And I did that for three months. And that was kind of my test to both the people who were coming in and they knew that it was, we're going to see how this works. And you guys let me know what you like and give me feedback and how I can help you more. And after three months, I'm like, okay, I've done this for three months. I can keep doing this. I'm not, you know, I can keep this up. And so it was, it started there. And then we just had more and more people coming in and people were having success, having people who had like never canned or preserved food before would come in. And four months later, she had over 400 jars of food preserved. Oh, and then her nice. husband, Oh, it's amazing. That in itself is amazing. But then her husband lost his job unexpectedly. And she's like, I don't have, I'm going to cry. She's like, I don't have to worry because I have all of this food put up and I would have, I've never done this before. And it's such a blessing. And so it's, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to get teary eyed. No, Um, please. So when I see things like that, it's just so amazing. And then more people, you know, were hearing about it and wanting to come in and to join. And so we've been growing. And then that also enabled me that I got to the point where I'm like, okay, this is, you know, I'm able to quit my day job and I'm able to do this full time and to do more and to deliver more to them and, and to grow it. And so that's how I was able to quit my day job a couple of years ago and do it, the Academy full time. So nice. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. And that I always call those, when I move to tears like that, and it happens, my listeners know it happens for me. When somebody's sharing a story, I was moved to tears a moment ago when you were sharing that. This is the reason I do this, is because we are making a difference for people out there. Yeah, it's amazing. I And, you know, honestly, I think we should be getting, wouldn't it be wonderful if all of us have parts in our lives where we are getting that emotional about it? Because... Yep. Yeah, I I think we need to live in a society that embraces that a little bit more than we do. You think? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I do. (laughs) Absolutely. So you have a free gift for our listeners. Tell them about it. I do. So I'm super excited. So my new book, The Family Garden Plan, which is Grow a Year's Worth of Sustainable and Healthy Food. So my publisher let me take directly from the book the How Much to Plant, per person for a year chart. And it's not, we go through all alphabetically, all of the vegetables, but all of your fruits as well. So if, you know, a semi-dwarf tree, how much does that actually put off in fruit production, your berry plants, all of those charts and worksheets so that you can figure out because every family size, depending on how much you're eating of a specific crop is going to determine how much you need to plant to take you 
through an entire year, if that's your goal. How much do you need to plant for that? Yours is going to be different than mine, most likely. So it's the worksheets that walk you through very practically and very easily how to determine how much that is for a year, what your family's need would be per crop. And then you just go to this chart and it tells you this is how much you need to plant to get this yield. So it really walks you through it in a very tactical easy way. And they said that we could take those charts, which are just some of the charts from the book, and I could actually give them away to people for free. So you can snag those for free at the book website. You can also check more out about the book, but it's at familygardenplan.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Yeah. Thank you for asking. (laughs) Absolutely. I'm going to shift on you. And I would like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure and what you might have learned from it. Oh, my goodness. I have to pick one, right? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. So I think I was thinking about this question, actually, because I know you asked this on your show. And I was thinking this morning, and really, I think one of the things that I would consider one of my biggest failures or, or, or regret would be that I stayed in a job that I did not, I would actually cry by Friday morning because it was a Monday through Friday job. There were times when I would be crying Friday morning because I did, I really was that unhappy in the, where I was at, at a time. (laughs) And I stayed in there way longer for years. I stayed at this position and in this job because I'm like, well, we got to make ends meet, which we do. I mean, you know, you have to have money in order to live, but I wish that I had had more confidence in myself and more faith that if I were to leave a situation that was making me that literally that miserable, that I would be able to find something else, something else would come along and that I wouldn't have stayed just kind of stuck in that, in that thing, which was my, my fault. I mean, I'm the only one that can make the changes. I could have chosen to invest and to learn something else. You know, I could have, but I was just like, well, this is my job and this is what life is. And this is where I'm, this is what I'm doing. I really wish looking back, I consider that a failure that I I stayed there and didn't make any concrete things to really change it more than I did and to change myself basically. Yeah. And this is the ultimate reason that I do this podcast is so that people can see the pathway from getting out of a job that they hate. Yeah, because life, oh my gosh, now looking back, (laughs) oh, I would tell my kids the same thing. No job, there will be something else that will come up. Mm -hmm. You will be able to find something. And then with their homesteading skills that, you know, that they've learned from from me and and from my father, I'm like, you're never going to go hungry you know, you'll find something. And I I believe too, as a, as a person of faith that, that God will open a door Mm -hmm. when you take that faith a step forward, that something will come up. It it might not all be easy and there's going to be some scary times figuring it out, but I would, I would never stay in a situation that long ever again. Yeah. Amen to that. There's a, there's a quote out there and I'm going to paraphrase it. It's the Scottish Himalayan quote for anybody that wants to look it up. And basically what it says is that once one is committed, like truly committed and steps forward in that commitment, magic happens and doors open. And I'm getting chills as I 
as I share this right now. And I have found in my life, I've been self-employed for 45 years. I'm almost 60 years old. I started my first business when I was 15. I've had one real job for the year of 1984. And I've been on my own since I was 21 years old. And I have never missed any payments that needed to be made. The universe has always stepped up and made sure that I had what I needed. Now, I was out there doing the work, making sure, just like you were out there doing the videos and all that stuff, I was out there doing the work, making sure, but the universe delivered, and it's magic how it happens. It is. I agree. There's been so many things where I have said, like, you've written it down. There's something about writing it down, audibly speaking Yes. And then it comes, and then you see it, like, Sometimes I, it feels like immediate, like within an hour. Sometimes it's been within the week or sometimes it's been months. But yeah, there is something to that. I completely agree. And I've seen it played out so many times. And it feels so good. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and what do you consider your biggest success? Oh, my biggest success. I think my biggest success would have to be my kids. And they're so young. My son's in his teens and my daughter's a preteen. But I say that because... Like my daughter, they had a school program, which actually was really cool, uh, where they come in and they teach them how to make bread. It's through the King Arthur Flower Company has this program where they go into certain schools. I don't know if it's in all schools, but this year it was at my daughter's school. And they teach the kids how to make bread because so many kids don't know how to do that. They don't have parents that actually cook from scratch or know how to make bread. And what was really cool is my daughter, she helps me. She feeds my sourdough starter. Both my kids, if they want chocolate chip cookies, they have the recipe from my book. They know what page it's on. <laughs> they and go make them. I, they go, they have to make them and I make them, they have to share. So one week or one week, my son is in charge of baking the cookies for the week. The next week, it's my daughter so that it's equal. I want them both to know how to bake and cook. What was so amazing is she was excited about this program because she already knew how to make bread or she's watched <laughs> it. She hasn't made, baked a whole loaf entirely by herself, but she, it's a common occurrence for her, but she got to see how excited and how awesome her classmates thought this was because it's not common for them. And so I think that was that really felt like a success moment is knowing that this is going to be my kids normal. Now I can't determine if they're going to continue on or not as adults. Obviously that'll be, but they'll have these skill sets if they want to, to fall back on and to continue with. They'll know it as normal. And so hopefully it will continue to be their normal. So I, I really feel that that's my biggest success. Nice. And what drives you? Oh my goodness. So many things. <laughs> You know, but really what what drives me is seeing the positive change in my own health and then seeing other people's lives and they found healing and and spreading that because I don't there's always gonna be bad things that happen. And I'm a firm believer that what you choose to focus on is what you are going to see and is what is going to happen. And so I feel like we are surrounded by gloom and doom if you want to look at media headlines or things on social media, for example. But I don't, I don't buy that. I don't believe that. I think everybody, you can make a difference. You have to start with yourself. But if you start to seek out the good things and you start to, to spread that and to share that with other people, it's people in your own family. I mean, I get grumpy and my husband will call me out on it. He's like, you're being really short. 
And I'm like, you're right. I'm sorry. And so I have to make that flip for myself sometimes with my own self, but in our interactions with other people and in society as a whole. And when people are feeling healthier and feeling better because of their food and they're able to grow it themselves and then they're able to spend time with their family and they're teaching them, like I just see it as this it's like that little seed. You plant that seed and then it grows and it sprouts and it becomes so many other plants. And it's that ripple effect that that's what motivates me is to see that change happening and being able to be a part of it. Sweet. And if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? I have to recommend one. Okay. I'm a voracious reader. Let me just tell you that. But right now, one of the ones that I'm most excited about and that I have actually been implementing some new things and testing and having a lot of fun with is Superhuman by Dave Asprey. And that one I just find fascinating because so much of what I have experienced by growing my own food and being out in nature and just feeling feeling so refreshed. I feel like gardening is food for the soul as well as the body. And then when you read or go through Dave's book, I'm actually listening to it on Audible. So I'm, I'm listening to it. But so much of what I experience by being out in nature, he's actually got like the science and is getting on a very deep level and scientific level on as to why and things that you can do to help improve and kind of biohack your own health. And I'm like, Oh, that's why, like, that's why. And, oh, I need to do more of that, like on a daily basis. Yeah. So I just, it's, it's very cool. And I kind of geek out about that kind of stuff. And so that's one of, one of my favorite books right now. I'm just finding fascinating as well as being able to do some of the things myself and like actually applicable at the same time. And I hear pretty clearly that you are deeply into gratitude and, does he touch on that in the book? It's kind of more on like on biohacking, like by different ways. So kind of like more on your health, on like your your food and then like your environment. Mm, so it's not so much this one in particular isn't so much on gratitude, though he is grateful because if you get to hear his story, but he came from extremely poor health, like 300 plus pounds just really, really a lot of issues, health issues, and to the point he's at now. And so he's been so grateful to be able to discover and to feel better that he continues to invest into this science and these studies. And he does science experiments on himself that I would never do on myself. Like once you have the data, that's one thing, but I'm like, like, I'm glad somebody's willing to do it, but I'm like, wow, dude, you're hardcore. Like, <laughs> but I'm glad because now we've got this data type thing, but even it was just like, and what I like about the book is he says, like, if you've got a lot of money, this is like the high level way to do it. But if you don't, then this is like the easy ways that you can still get results from and do it. And so I really appreciate that he's kind of showing and giving you all the different options. Nice. And the yeah. name of the book again is? Superhuman by Dave Asprey. He's the bulletproof guy. If you've oh, yes. Bulletproof coffee. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's his newest book. Um, I actually haven't read his other books, but yeah, very, very interesting. Yeah. I'm really enjoying it. I can tell. Yeah. <laughs> and what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? So my final piece of advice is that thing that you're thinking about, are you like, man, I really should do X, Y, Z. 
Maybe it's you're like, I know I need to move my body more. I know I need to do working out a little bit more. Or I know I probably need to stop buying this and find some type of healthier version, make it at home, whatever it is. Maybe you're like, I need to get more sleep at night. I know I'm not getting enough sleep. Whatever it is, do it. Stop waiting. Make a commitment. There's that commitment thing again. Yes. Make a, make a commitment. Maybe you're just going to say, okay, I am committing to moving my body five days a week for a minimum of 15 minutes. You don't have to go to the gym. You don't have to get a gym membership. And then you just decide you commit and that's what you do. So doing the commitment, pick the one thing, do the commitment and do it. Nice. Nice. I have to say when we, we, a few weeks ago, we recorded me for your podcast. And when I got done, my smile was kind of sore because I was so happy having that conversation. And I'm in that same place again today. I just, I love the level of conversation that we have. Thank you so much. Yay. Oh, thank you. It's, it's so much fun to surround yourself. And, you know, I have to say motivation wise, because oftentimes we'll make that commitment, right? We'll mm -hmm. start out kind of like new year's resolutions. You make the commitment, you're doing the thing and you do awesome for a day, a week, maybe two weeks. And then all of us kind of reach that point where we kind of start to, to maybe fade a little bit. And so I have found that podcasts on the subject of the thing that I'm wanting to do, if I listen to a podcast about it at least once a week, that it really does help keep me motivated and keeps me in and doing it. So if it's if it's gardening, like obviously if you're listening to this one, this podcast, or you know, doing more things, the homemade and natural route, raising more of your own food, or if it's fitness or if it's health, find a podcast, find an audiobook, find something and get yourself plugged into that because it does make a difference on us keeping doing it longevity-wise and having those long-term successes, which all of this is about, really. This needs to be long-term. Like, I'm going to never stop growing my own food. And every year, my goal is to grow one more thing mm -hmm. than a year's worth than we did the previous year. And so that's every year we add to it. But you don't want to just make a change for a little bit of time. You want your whole life to be better. And so that's been one of the key things for me is making sure I stay plugged into resources in all the different areas, self-development, whatever, on a weekly basis to help keep me motivated and on track. Wow, cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Melissa. Thank you, Greg. Thank you so much. So how can somebody get a hold of you? Let's start there. Yeah. So if you're into podcasts, which if you're listening this far, you, my friend, are a podcast junkie, just like me. High five. So the Pioneering Today podcast and then at my website, melissaknorris.com, you will find the blog, you will find the podcast episodes, but they're on all the podcast apps, however you're listening to it, and lots of freebies, as well as my book, The Family Garden Plan, and that chart, that free chart on how much to plant per person, and that worksheet to help you figure out how much you need on what crops for your family specifically. Nice. So that's familygardenplan.com. Yeah. Excellent. And you can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash pioneering today. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. 
Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.